Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. The Red Sox just wrapped up a three-game set against the Kansas City Royals, dropping the series two games to three. However, they are currently in first place in the American League East, half a game above the Tampa Bay Rays, who come to town on Tuesday. A quick disclaimer for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, Let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can also find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Co-hosting with me tonight from the city of Westwood, Massachusetts, Jason Kelly. Jason, how are you? I'm doing well. Um I got a nice reminder tonight that, you know what, no matter how bad things may seem at times, you could be an Arizona Diamondbacks fan, so it can always be worse. Uh, Who just lost their 17th in a row, I believe, today. So uh, as much as we can bitch and moan about the Red Sox at times, we could be out in Arizona just watching that team do nothing. So. Overall, can't complain. That's an organization in complete turmoil right now. And Tori Lovello's contract's up. There might be some sexy jobs out there. And he's a good manager. He's a good manager. He's probably the ideal manager because he's going to cooperate with the analytics, but he's going to keep the players in line. So that's interesting. Sadly, the wife of Mike Hazen, who's their GM, came from the Red Sox, um, seems to be in the late stages of brain cancer. So he's not with the team presently uh, out on leave. So sad situation there and just a tough organization. First ever Diamondbacks take in the intro. We got it done tonight. (laughs) Oh, and where can they find you on Twitter, Jason? Oh, you can find me uh, at color of the Iris on Twitter. Uh, That's color spelled O-U-R. O-U-R, all one word. Also co-hosting with us tonight, who is dressed very light for this episode, from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? Uh, just doing fine, you know. I uh, I could do that whole take of the they're not who we thought they were BS and whatnot, but uh, I remember thinking, man, we, we goon and we're already wrong again. So it's... I mean, I keep telling myself it could be worse. You could be Garrett Hull, Cole just saying, come on, guys, just just talk to us. We want to be able to cheat. 
<laughs> and uh, you know, it's it's tired. I mean, there there are so many players in the minors now that if I'm a player in the in the minors, I want to sue the hell out of these players that are cheating. Feel free to harass me at Smith underscore MLB. I love the hate. Bring it. S M I T H underscore M L B. Very good. Uh, so tough series. Not one we thought we would end up losing. The one game I thought we would lose, we ended up winning. Martin Perez, we'll get into him in a little bit. Finally turned it around. But before we do get into studs and duds, where the series got lost to me was the third inning, uh, game one. Bases loaded, no outs. Get a double play, one of which was at the home, at home plate, then over to first, and then a ground out. We scored nothing. And the series kind of went sideways from there. So, uh, it's it's a wonder where we lose two out of three and we're in first. But Tampa's lost six in a row. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, this this might be a tougher episode for the audience. Some of you might be into that. and uh, But we, we cover that in the disclaimer. So, um, all right. Studs and duds. Actually, let me do the scores real quick. Friday was game one. That was a loss, 5-3. to three. Royals win. Saturday afternoon, Red Sox, pretty solid, won the game 7-1. to one. And then today in the series finale, dropped the game 7-3. to three. So that's how you lose two out of three. Studs and duds for this Red Sox-Royals series. Jason, who's your stud? I'm going with a guy who I've been very hard on since the start of the season, at times rightfully so. I've called for this guy to be sent down. I've called for him to be out of the lineup for multiple days at a time. Um, I got frustrated with him many times, but he woke up in the two games he played this series, and that was Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, Five for seven, a home run, a triple. Um, Overall, he looked really good, and it wasn't just about – the results, right? It wasn't just that he hit a home run, he drove in three and, and all that. It was the way he looked at the plate. He just looked more on top of things. He looked like he was seeing the ball better. He looked more patient. Um, Remy actually called it out in today's game, and I think he was spot on. He said, you know, Bobby just looks like he's more on time with his swing. Um, now, look, with everything that's going on with the pitchers and with you know what they're not being allowed to use and, and all that stuff. I don't know if that contributes to it at all, or if it's just that this is a young kid who obviously is working hard. No one's ever questioned his effort. Right. And I want to make that clear. Like I've never questioned his effort. I think that he gives a crap. He tries very hard. He works with the hitting coaches, all of that. So I don't know if it's just, you know, two plus months of hard work finally starting to come to fruition with a guy that they were patient with. Or if it's that plus, you know, the ad factor of, you know, the balls don't have as much spin on them. They're not moving as much. Maybe it's easy for him to see. I don't know. Either way, I'll take this Bobby Dahlbeck hitting 219 at the bottom of your order and hitting for power. That's fine. Now, do I want to see the average go up a little bit more? Of course, we all do, right? Ideally, you want Bobby Dahlbeck hitting around 250, 260 with power and not striking out all the time. But right now, for this Red Sox team, who's in a dogfight in the division with the Rays, 
I'll take 219 with some power and a guy who from the bottom of the order can produce and drive in runs. Um, and then you've still got guys like Bogarts and JD at the top of the order doing their thing. Um, the Red Sox can't figure out the leadoff spot. They don't know where to put Kike Hernandez, but if Bobby Dahlbeck down at the eight or nine spot can produce like this, that's awesome. I'll take it all the time. So I hope that this is him progressing. I hope it's not just that pitchers are getting their limbs cut off by major league baseball right now, but if it's him progressing and you know, this is the way it is in mid June, I'm excited to see what he might be in August or September, you know, hopefully by then the average is up a little bit more and the power continues because that's exactly what this team needs. So Bobby Dalbeck had a great series. I'm not going to take that away from him. Game one, he didn't play. And I had, I, I hate to say this. I was happy. I was happy. I didn't see him play because I'm so sick of seeing someone that looks defeated three fifths of the time where we're just flailing at balls six inches before they've even hit home plate. Pitches that are way outside, and before we know it, we're we're heading back to the, the dugout because we struck out at, at stupid pitches. Um, this series, though, an anomaly. Five for nine. You have multiple singles. You have a tri- yeah, I think he had a triple, right? And then a home run um, in that game. He had three RBIs. He went off. JD went off. But outside of that, it almost felt like it was really quiet. I'm not going to forget about what else I've seen. Bobby Dahlbeck is the perfect trade ship, and right now is the time to move him. This is the time because his value, it's its like he is like the stock market, man. It is going up and down, up and down, and you need to sell on the high because it wouldn't surprise me if in the next series or two he goes five for 32 with 14 strikeouts and one home run and three RBIs. That's the problem with Bobby Dahlbeck. Who would you rather have playing in the field? Dahlbeck? Michael Chavis? People are going to say Dahlbeck. Maybe. Bobby Dahlbeck or Tristan Cassis? Who would you rather have? And that's why Bobby Dahlbeck is probably seeing his last amount of time in Boston. If it's not right now, it will be next year. This is going to be part of a trade package. Well, he did have a good series, and uh, game two was basically the engine behind the offense that that won the se- uh, that won that game. And it's good to see. I just I have a hard time drinking the punch on this guy because it just you just never know. And and we've got the Royals coming up. We've got the Yankees after them. And I, I think we're going to have Kansas City again. So at least for these first two series, I think we'll see. If he carries this momentum uh, through Tampa, through New York, that'll be very encouraging. What Charlie says about being a trade chip, I'm all in on trading Bobby Dahlbeck. Um, I don't think it'll happen before the 4th of July. I think you're realistically looking you know, outwards a few weeks. But I just, his, his, his value, I think he's shown enough. 
I think every team would look at him right now and say, he'll hit well on our program, even if he does slump a little bit. So I don't know what a return would look like for Dahlbeck at this point. Um, Do you guys think it would be if it does happen? And I think it's, even though we're, at least two of us are in favor of it, (laughs) and I know neither of the guys on the other show are, um, Andrew and Job would uh, probably not have a good day. Uh, if that happened, uh, at least this season. But um, what what is a trade return for Bobby Dahlbeck if it happens? So this is part of my problem, and and I'm actually I might shock you here. I'm not in favor of a Bobby Dahlbeck trade. Um, not this season. Not if you're contending, because who's going to play first base if you trade him? Like, what? is Marwin Marwin Gonzalez full time? Like, because I'm a, the other thing too is I'm not in favor of calling up Tristan Cassis, just like I'm not in favor of calling up Jaron Duran. Not for this team, not this year. I, you know, we've talked about it most of the season that it's probably better if they just wait on Duran, if they wait on Cassis. So I don't want to trade Dahlbeck mainly because I'm not a believer in Chavis. I'm not a believer in Marwin Gonzalez. So I don't know who you get to play first base full time. And I don't think that you would get a return that would make a ton of sense for this team. Are you going to get a number three starter who, you know, can pitch clutch games in the playoffs? I don't think so. Are you going to get a top tier closer like a Josh Hader for Bobby Dahlbeck? I don't think so. At least not him by himself. You'd have to it'd be Dahlbeck would be part of a package that would be headlined by someone else. So I don't think that the return would be good enough. Now, if it's the kind of thing where you're trading your 25 year old first baseman, who's maybe struggling a little bit, for someone else's, you know, mid to early 20 first baseman. And it's sort of like our headache for your headache. If ball, if Dahlbeck starts to go backwards again, maybe, but at this point, I'd rather they just stay patient and just see what he can do and see if he keeps this up. Because again, like your first date, your first base options kind of suck, you know, like again, unless you're really willing to accelerate Tristan Cassis up to the majors that quickly, I don't think that, Bloom is going to want to do that. I don't want the Red Sox doing that. So for those reasons, I actually hope they don't trade him. Well, I think the first base situation could be part of the return um, in the, in the Dahlbeck package. And I mean, if we're, I think we could get a middle of the rotation guy to start I think we got enough depth on the farm. I mean, if if sales coming up and you know from his injury, and then Hout comes up, Winkowski. I just feel like I'm not as worried about starting pitching as as everybody else, I guess. And and it, people will you know post on social media whether they're responding to our tweets or whatever that they want to pursue starting pitching but I just I'm not that worried about it. I just is is he going to be hitting this good next year is the thing. I, so I I mean his value is is relatively up right now. So that's, yeah, the only the only thing I would say is like he's what 25, 26, so yeah. You hear a lot that like major league baseball players, especially hitters their prime power years are their late 20s. 
like 27, 28. So could he be hitting better next year? Potentially. He might be hitting for more power. I don't know if the average is ever going to go up. I don't know if the strikeouts are ever going to go down. But let's say he ends this year with 27 home runs. He might hit 37 next year. You know, if he if he bulks up a little bit more and he gets a little bit stronger, a little bit more mature. So, you know, it could happen. It may not happen. He may just be this. He might just be a 25 homer, low 200s hitter. But there is a potential that he will power up next year. And again, he's cheap. You've got him under team control. So you don't have to, you know, if you trade for a guy on an expiring contract and now you've got to worry about re-signing that guy, you know, at least with Dahlbeck, you don't have to worry about that. He'll be dirt cheap. Yeah, well, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think Bloom's going to surprise us in some way at the deadline, and it, it could have nothing to do with Dahlbeck, but there might be a player on the team we don't foresee being traded that could very well get moved. Uh, so, all right, Charlie, uh, go ahead. You're stud for the series. So I've I've called him a lot. Um, he's been my MVP on the Red Sox basically all season long, um, and I'm going with Rafi Devers. And I know he only went two for twelve. He only hit um, one sixty seven for the series. He had two solo home runs in what some may consider two meaningless games, but he's still doing his job. He's still trying to hit home runs. He's doing his best to get on base. Yeah, he struck out a couple of times. Uh, which wasn't, you know, wasn't pretty. But you're getting someone who's consistently doing their job each and every series. Um, I I can't, for the life of me, hate on Rafi Devers. I, I just can't. I mean, the only way that I would, I would turn, you know what? In my eyes, this is probably one of the only players the Red Sox have that can do no wrong. Um, and I think that says a lot to him. Uh, this is one of your cornerstone pieces on the team. Uh, a while ago, Terry did a piece on Rafael Devers about the impending contract, about the right time to sign him. And each year that you don't sign Rafael Devers, it is going to be exponentially more expensive to retain him. And, Last year, the year before that, this very well could have been a player that you could have had to a similar deal to what Xander signed when he signed his deal with the Sox. And now it's looking like this is going to be the first Albatross contract the Red Sox give to a player if that's the direction they're all of a sudden going to revert back to since David Price got his over $200 million deal. Because there is going to be a team out there that offers him over $200 million. And he is going to go there if the Red Sox don't pony up. He's he's a premier player at his position, not the best defensively, but he's going to get on base. He's going to draw walks, has ridiculous OPS and getting on base percentage. Like just, it's insane. He's still mashing, still knocking in RBIs. He's a top five player in the in the categories that matter. I believe he's second in the majors in RBIs. Um, home runs, I I don't believe he's at the top. I think that's uh, Vladdy and Shohei Otani. Um, right now, but at one point, Rafi Devers was leading league in homers and RBIs. It, it's not far fetched to think that he can't do it again. So, um, for someone to go and hit two home runs in three days, you could strike out seven times, eight times. I'm not going to care. You're still hitting home runs, and that's more than I can say for the rest of the team. Jason, 
Yeah, so I think there's two ways to look at Rafi Devers. Um, as Charlie said, he's a cornerstone of your offense. He's a cornerstone of your team. So you can look at him on one hand and go, okay, they lost two out of three. But you know what? It's hard to knock Rafi. He hit two home runs. He, you know, He's still one of your best players. So whatever. The other way to look at it is the Red Sox lost two out of three to the Royals. Why didn't you do more? As you said, he went two for 12. So, I mean, it, you know, it's if you're a superstar player and, you know, as Charlie said, if he's going to get this max contract and he wants the big bucks, okay, when you go up against Kansas City, even if the rest of the team is struggling, you've got to step up. You've got to you've got to be the catalyst of the offense. Um, now, you know, that's that's a harsh way to look at it because it is just one series in a very long season where Devers has been really good. He's going to be an all star. He's going to probably be tops of the league in a lot of stat categories by the end of the year. But I'm sorry. Like, I, I want more from my superstars. I wanted more from Bogarts in this series, too. Like, it's just that's kind of the way it goes. When you lose two out of three to a team you shouldn't lose to, you look to the top first. You look to the guys that you expect to perform, and you look at Devers going two for 12. He left a lot of guys on base. So congrats on the home runs, but you couldn't do it when guys are on base where it may have been more effective. Um so it, it's tough. I mean, that's the life of a superstar player. It, it's always going to fall on you first. But overall, I you know, I still think that Devers is so important to this offense. I think he's going to have a monster year. And you just hope that going down the line, like the clutch hitting on this team gets better. Because I think that was a big problem. You know, Terry, you mentioned at the top of the show, like game one, bases loaded. They drive in nobody. And it was like, what the hell? With this offense, that should never be the case, especially with nobody out. Um, so I, I just hope that when guys are on base and there are clutch situations, I hope Devers gets a little bit better there because everyone wants to say that like, oh man, it's like, you know, David Ortiz all over again. Well, not quite because David Ortiz, when guys are on base was a menace. Devers isn't quite there yet. He's, you know, he still is prone to striking out. He's still prone to just, you know, I, again, it was one that they, they pointed out on the broadcast. It's like, there are times he gets up there and he just already has decided he's going to swing at the first pitch, no matter what it is. And he kind of, he looks bad at times. Now when he hits the ball 500 feet, he looks great. But when he goes up there kind of flailing away and just almost like he's guessing what's going to be thrown, it doesn't look good. So he's a great player. I still love him. I want them to sign him. Please sign Rafi Devers. Don't let this guy walk. But do I want a little bit more? Yeah, I do. Especially from this team. Here, oh, so I understand the sentiment. I think that's fair to ask from your star player. I think he's a better player than Xander Bogarts. I would rather have Rafi Devers on my team than Xander. Rafi Devers has not had a bad series. And here's the thing. If Rafi Devers is hitting two home runs and he arguably did the second most for your team, you could maybe say third most, fourth most for your team. No one else had two home runs. Bobby Dublik had a great series. Who's had more better series is in the season. Rafael Devers in the last three or Bobby Dahlbeck all season. Rafael Devers has more better series in the last three or four series than Bobby Dahlbeck has all year. And so I'm not going to fault him for that, especially since the Red Sox have not done well against the bottom flight teams this year. Kansas city is a bottom 10 team this season. They got smoked in one of these games, they scored 13 runs and allowed 13. If you give up 13, you allow 13, you have to have two out of those three. 
that is not good that you get smoked by KC. It is not good that you get smoked by Texas. You lose three out of four to Texas. They're a bottom three team, in my opinion. This is terrible. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the Red Sox split against Arizona. We don't do well against crappy teams. We don't do well against crappy teams. The Arizona Diamondbacks, they have some of these people that are working in management, in in leadership on this team. They come from Boston. I think they would know exactly what to do to our team. We do great against starters, mostly. Guess what? Their best starter is only one out of three or one out of four. I am not going to harp on the fact that Rafi Devers had a okay series. Two solo home runs. Still got around the bases twice. Still did his job. Yes, some can argue meaningless home runs. But at least he's doing it. Rafi Devers has two home runs in the series. Bobby Dalbeck has what feels like two home runs this month. Bobby Dalbeck hits 200, it feels like, every single month. And there are people that are giving so many chances to Bobby Dalbeck. I'm done. I'm done with people like that. I'm over it. I'm g- goodbye. Next. My issues with Devers is that I don't know if he's really being utilized the right way. He's on pace for close to 200 strikeouts this year, and he's never been close to that. And I just wonder if he'd be better off with Xander hitting behind him. And maybe he would get better pitches. Maybe the strikeouts go down. The average goes up. The OBP is still pretty good. I mean, it's mid threes. And if he's hitting for better average, then it would probably be upper threes almost. So that's my only gripe with, with Devers. I'm just not sure he's been utilized the right way. In terms of what he means to the team, if we traded Dahlbeck, my confidence that Devers does get extended this offseason goes way up and and not traded. Because for all we know, maybe Bloom could be thinking, all right, I'm going to trade Devers this offseason because I don't think we're going to sign him at a good price. And then Dahlbeck's going to be our third baseman. And then Casas will be up no later than April or May. And and playing first, I and it's way too early to be talking scenarios like that. But but if Dahlbeck does get shipped, my confidence goes up in Devers. I'll also say this about uh, Devers: it's going to be more painful to me to not re-sign him than it was not re-signing Mookie. Mookie didn't want to be here. We knew that price was going to be astronomical no matter what. Devers wanted to be here. He's talked about in the past, yeah, I'd I'd love to sign an extension. And it didn't happen. And granted, we had a transition from Dombrowski over to Bloom and things were a mess. But if we don't sign Devers when we probably could have had him for $200 or less, if they timed it right, that's going to be painful to me. That's going to be extremely painful. So we'll we'll see what happens uh, as far as as far as Devers. It's going to hurt for more than one reason because you have JD who could potentially opt out. I'm not sad about that. I'm okay with that. Me too. Xander, who's who's probably going to go to another team because we're not going to give him what he thinks he deserves. Uh, this is someone who thinks that he's owed over thirty million a year because the Mets were dumb enough to get Francisco Lindor over thirty million dollars. Just just shell out a 
buttload of money for someone who really hasn't panned out this year. Yeah, he's gotten hot recently. Where were you for two and a half freaking months, dude? You're supposed to be one of the premier players in the league, and you just got a dumb contract. You got a dumb contract. There are two players in my mind that that have that have literally earned it so far. Tatis and Mike Trout. Mookie Betts hasn't earned that contract right now. You cannot, like, owners no longer need to pay for past performance. There's no incentive for that. Like, great, we're going we're gonna to make $280, $280 million worth in jerseys? Of course not. You're going to eat up the last two, three years of that contract. If it's going to be dead money. Look at Albert Pujols, for example. It, it was, uh, I think it was actually Terry that mentioned this on an episode too, where uh, Angels ownership, they just don't get it. It was going to take like $160 million And right, Terry, it, it went up $40 million each time. It was like, not 160 how about 200 Not 200 how about 240 Oh, sure, we'll sign it. Yeah. Like, there's going to be a team that's dumb enough to sign Xander. If we don't get Rafi Devers, I'm 100% on the same page as you, Terry. If we don't get, if we don't get him, I'm going to be pretty upset. What's your fix for that? What's for what's your fix for getting a premier third baseman? Uh, Dahlbeck, maybe, and then Casas mm. on the other corner. Uh, who knows? We have no idea with Bloom yet. This is the most closed up front office we've ever had. Epstein, a lot more transparent. Dave, Dave Dombrowski had a lot of faults, and I, I'm glad he got fired when he did. But he was very transparent and honest with us. <laughs> so. Dahlbeck at third base? That's like saying... Uh-oh, the Titanic is singing. Hey, wait, I got it. Here's a Band-Aid. <laughs> like, it's I, just not going to work, you know? I have no idea what Bloom's thinking, but I have this sneaky suspicion that Bloom is obsessed with having his own team and wants to get rid of all of the Dave Dombrowski holdovers. So Maybe. I, I don't know. To, to, I, me, to me, it'll it'll hurt if they don't sign Devers because – and more, the, more so the Mookie because Devers – projects to be left-handed Adrian Beltre. I still think Mookie, I still think Mookie's going to be Andrew McCutcheon. And I'd rather have, <laughs> I'd rather have left-handed Adrian Beltre. See with, with Mookie, you know, the back three years, that's going to be his age, you know, 37, 38, 39 seasons. Those aren't going to be good. And you've already burnt year two of that deal. Or actually this might be year one. Technically, I think I could be wrong. But this is yeah. I think it is year one, yeah, because he signed the extension midseason. It is year one, yeah. yeah. So you've already burnt the first year of it, and you know the back three are going to be bad. So you're you're hoping for the best with those other eight. But I, you could be right. I love the McCutcheon take there, and I will laugh my butt off if that's like if that's the most obvious thing ever in three years. But my stud for the series. And this guy's been a dud quite a bit on past shows, but I'm going to go with Kike Hernandez. He only played games two and three of the series, uh, was three for five. And not only did he get three hits, but he got three walks. So, so not not bad, and he had a two-run shot today. The Red Sox briefly had a lead, uh, thanks to Hernandez. And one thing I want to point out, he's so much better in that bottom third, whether he's seventh or whether he's eighth, because he's a guy that just needs to relax where he is in the order, and he's never going to do that in the leadoff spot. 
For whatever reason, he's just a different guy when he's leading off. He's a 229 hitter when he's leading off. When he's this is a tiny sample size. This is seven for twenty-two. So that's what? Is that three hundred? Just under no, yeah, it is. It's over three hundred. Yeah. Just over three hundred in uh hitting either seventh or eighth. So that's what I want. I just want him in the bottom third. Leadoff's been a problem all year long. The bottom third's been a problem all year long. So if you bring him to that bottom third, now you only have a problem at leadoff. And I'd rather have a problem in just one area than in two areas of the lineup. So that's what I would do. And if Cora wants to start Santana or Marwin in that one hole until either Duran comes up or we make an acquisition then that's what I want. But it was a very impressive series for Kike. And I I think he'll hit closer to those numbers in the in the bottom third than than what he's hitting um out of the leadoff spot. Jason. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Keep this guy in the bottom half of your order. Um I think we've said it, you know, numerous times. Like you said, he's been a dud quite a few times this season, but this guy just he's not built to be a leadoff hitter. He's got a career OBP of 310. I mean, that's that's not career OBP. That's really not good. Um, he's just he's not a guy who's going to take walks. He doesn't take a lot of pitches, and he's just more suited for the bottom of the order. And I, I think you're right. He looks more comfortable down there. And you need Kike Hernandez to be at his best because, you know, he's he's probably going to be playing close to every day going forward. Um, whether it be because of injury, like Christian Arroyo can't stay healthy, apparently. So, you know, he's probably going to get more time at second base, too. He's going to get time in the outfield. Um, you're going to need Kike Hernandez to be in a comfortable spot. So stop putting him in the leadoff spot. It hasn't worked. He's proven that it hasn't worked. Keep him in the bottom half of the order, and he'll produce. He'll be great down there. So we're seeing... Kike Hernandez doing what he should be doing in the spot he should be doing it in. The experiment in the one hole did not work. The experiment in the nine hole did not work. He's actually been the best from the eight hole this season. He hasn't hit any home runs outside of the leadoff spot. Um, But when you look at the numbers, it's unfair to look at his numbers and compare him as a whole player because the numbers are skewed, he spent way too much time as your leadoff guy. Now, when you look at the numbers, he goes down 0-1 pretty regularly. And on an 0-1 count, he actually does pretty well. His favorite counts are 2-0 and 2-1 as far as doing damage. If he goes down 0-2, it's, it's not pretty. If he goes down, if even if he's down like 1-0, he still swings at the next one and doesn't do that well either. He needs to be a little bit better with just being patient. Patience is a virtue in all sports. If he became just a even 25% more patient, just waited for more pitches, he's going to tire opposing pitchers out. He's going to do a little bit more work to them. I'm just curious to see what can happen. I don't want to see him in the leadoff spot anymore. I think that experiment is over. I'd like to see Verdugo if he was a little bit, you know, healthier, 
no back problems, no issues, him or Xander in the one spot or the two spot. I think that's who your leadoff hitter should be. Anybody else, you know, you could you could experiment with a Royo every once in a while. But I think your everyday one slot should be Xander or Alex Verdugo. Absolutely. And hopefully we'll start to see that because we know by now what doesn't work. So you, you want to start to see Alex Cora stay away from those type of things. So um, honorable mentions this series, Alex Verdugo, four for 14. Martin Perez turned it around. Uh, five innings pitch, three hits, one earned run, walked two, only struck out three. Threw his changeup 33% of the game. That seemed to be the difference. He wasn't really throwing that too often. So hopefully he makes that a weapon. Uh, these guys don't have their gripping agents either. So you got to give some leeway as far as uh, what could be going on there. Nick Pavetta gave up three runs. All three were on a three-run shot by uh, Mondesi. Other than that, he pitched pretty well for five innings, uh, struck out six. Not going to kill him for that. Like I said, we had plenty of opportunities early in the game to put up runs, and we and we blew it. So, um, but uh, and Garrett Whitlock went two innings, uh, two hits, didn't give up a run, didn't walk anybody either, struck out two. So, uh, any thoughts on any of them? Yeah, I actually didn't think Pavetta was too bad, um, and he he's a guy that we're going to be paying extra attention to with the you know no more gripping agent stuff because he was a guy with a career A over six who all of a sudden started pitching well, um, but he really wasn't that bad. You know, in the game that he pitched, the, the three run homer was a bomb, and it was a bad fastball that Mondesi just absolutely lost. Um, but you're right; they had opportunities to win that game. He, I, you know. I really I'm not too worried about Pavetta going forward. I, I think that he will figure it out and he'll you know, do I think that he's gonna have an ERA in the low threes by the end of the year? Probably not. You know, he's he's gonna regress to the mean a little bit, but I don't think it's gonna go completely backwards. So I'm not hitting the panic button on him on uh Pavetta. I'll say this much. So Mondesi's dad was Raul Mondesi. And people, I think, forget about the power that he, his dad had. Uh, and he was also a longtime Dodger, was a Yankee for a little bit, too. Um, that was not a cheap home run. I'm going to be a little bit more diplomatic on this and say, I'm still not sure what to call the pitchers in baseball. Not just on the Red Sox, but in baseball right now. Because we don't know if some of them might be taking a little liberty and doing a little something, something on the side. We don't know. Because you got the Garrett Coles that are crying that they can't use anything saying, talk to us. Talk to us, please. We just we just want to play. Uh, I'm happy that Pavetta did what he did. I'm still not sure what to say, though. Because he had been great until a little stint where he started struggling. We'll see what happens. Um but Pavetta doing decently back in, in this performance, I'll, I'll take it. Absolutely. So let's get into the duds side of the spectrum. Number of choices here, Jason. Who is your dud for the series? Uh, it's a little harsh because he just got here, but 
I'm going with Yaxel Rios. Um, so I don't know why the Red Sox didn't like Brandon Brennan. They DFA'd him pretty quickly. Um, I also don't know why they thought Yaxel Rios was going to be a good addition to this pen. Now, they got him for nothing. They got him from Seattle for cash consideration. So, okay, fine. You got a reliever under the age of 30 for just a bunch of cash. No problem. Uh, there's a reason why the Seattle Mariners, who always struggle to find pitching, just gave this guy up. He's never been good. He's got a career ERA of six and a half. And he was drafted by Philly 10 years ago, was in their minor league system for a long time, finally debuted, hasn't put it together since. The Pittsburgh Pirates gave up on this guy. Like, he's been bounced around numerous organizations. And the problem is the reason he sticks around is because every time he gets sent down, he pitches really well in the minors. He's a classic 4A pitcher. Pitches really well in the minors, has, you know, kind of decent stuff. And so he goes down in the minors, he plays well, and he gets called back up. And then, you know, teams go, oh, oh, we we found him. We found a gem. You know, this is just another, all the bloomers here in Boston, probably like, oh, there goes Kayim. This is exactly what the Tampa Bay Rays would do. They'd find this guy off the, off the scrap heap, and maybe he'll be a future closer. No, no, no. Yaxel Rios sucks. Um, I hope that we don't have to see him for much longer this year. I, I hope the Red Sox make at least a, a much better, more decent bullpen move going forward um, because this guy ain't it. He, he doesn't have the stuff, and um, they'll probably keep him in the organization. They might send him down or you know designate him, and he might take the assignment. We'll see. But this guy's not a major league pitcher. He just isn't. Just real quick, Charlie, before you do go, we're almost to July and the Mariners are above 500 right now. They're 38 and 36. So they're not trading away any of their good pitchers. You know, they're. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> if they're getting rid of a guy, he's definitely bad. They're not tanking for draft picks uh, anymore. They won't make the playoffs, I don't think. But they're they're putting their best foot forward and haven't been above 500 in quite some time this late in the season. But, Charlie, go ahead. Thoughts on Rios? This guy's a bum. This guy's a bum. He comes in his very first game, and I, people were like, oh, yeah, this guy's clutch. Dude, give me a break. He threw seven pitches. Five strikes, two balls. He pitched a third of an inning. And, yes, the pitcher's turn of the rotation, or the the order was up for hitting. This guy gave up four hits, two runs, two earned, and an inning and two-thirds, three walks barely threw 50% for strikes. This guy's a hack. They misspelled his name. It should be Haxel Rios. I'm done talking about this <laughs> fool. Yeah, he's just kind of holding a spot right now. Unfortunately, Bizarro, I think, is just making his way back from that lat injury. And um, Brazier keeps having mishaps. He was looking like he was going to be within a week out, and then he took a ball off the head. <laughs> Not his fault, but uh, so we're, we're getting we're getting the merry-go-round of these scrap heap guys. So hopefully next time we see him, it'll be either in mop-up or because we're ahead 10-2. to 2. So, uh, Charlie, you're uh, dud for the series. So mine is somebody that I've not been too pleased with as of late just because comments that have been made. Uh, I've felt that they were to some degree unprofessional, and I'm still kind of salty about it. 
I am at this point completely okay if we trade him or don't resign him um, because his ask is astronomical and completely um, unrealistic. And that's Xander Bogarts. Uh, he went two for 12, had a couple singles, one RBI, a walk, a pair of strikeouts. I don't want to waste any more time talking about this guy. Like, yeah, you can hit 300 and whatnot, but you are not the face of the team anymore. Uh, you clearly care about getting paid like a former player that we used to look up to and really look forward to. But you're nothing more than him 2.0. You're going to get your money and you're going to bust. I, I just that's how I see it, because the defense isn't getting any better. You're not getting any faster. And your defense will start to wane. You will get worse in time. It's not going to be the anomaly of like the Nolan Ryan where you start to get better with age. That's just not happening. You're not going to become Nelson Cruz and mash 40 home runs. That's not happening. So, no. Xander, done. Next. (laughs) Wow. Um, So, I'm going to say the same thing about Bogarts that I did about Devers, which is, okay, in a series that we lost, he didn't play well. All right. It's Sander Bogarts. You know, he's he's played well all year. He's going to have a good season. So you can kind of just, okay, yeah, it's a shame you, you write it off. But at the same time, I'll, again, we lost two out of three to Kansas City. Sander Bogarts should have done more. Um, especially since he – did he actually play all three games this time? He didn't get a rest day, right? So no. that's a rarity. Okay, so that's a rarity. Actually he, he, actually, he actually played all three. That's good. That's good to see. That that might be the start of a streak. We'll see. Um, look, <laughs> Bogarts is going to become a, a big-time um, polarizing topic between Red Sox fans for the rest of this year, especially after those comments that he made about his contract and about all that because you can already tell Nesson is trying to, you know, polish Xander Bogarts as much as they can. I mean – Oh my God, Remy and Wakefield today just couldn't go. Oh, such a great guy, you know. He's a great player, but he's an even better person, and that's really <laughs> what matters. You know, it's almost like you're saying completely disregard everything he said last week. Don't, don't, don't pay attention to that. He's a great guy. Look, he's a pro athlete who wants to get paid. Okay, like let's let's not pretend he's anything else. All right, he's not Mother Teresa. Okay, he realizes that. The shortstop market has exploded. Trevor Story still hasn't gotten paid, and Trevor Story is probably going to get traded this year. He might help a team get to the playoffs, might even help a team win a World Series, and then that dude's going to get paid. And Xander Bogarts is looking around. He's looking at Lindor. He's looking at Trevor Story. In a couple of years, it's going to be Bo Bichette. The number is just going to keep going up, and he's looking at his contract going, oh, this kind of sucks. Maybe I did sign a little too early. Maybe, yeah, maybe I should be getting a little bit more. So, no crap. He's a pro athlete who's really good. He wants more money. Does that mean that I I want the Red Sox to just cast him off and send him to an island and forget about him forever? No, but we'll see. I, you know, Charlie's right. If the if the number's astronomical, let's not get ridiculous. Charlie has his hand raised. Yes, Charlie, would you like to make a point? <laughs> yes, I have a question. Um, who would you rather have on your team, Xander Bogarts or Trevor Story? Xander Bogarts. Who would you rather have on your team, Xander Bogarts or Bo Bichette? Bo Bichette. Bo Bichette's going to be the future of the shortstop position. And and let me be clear, Not I Xander want Bo Bogarts. Bichette because he's younger. Like I think I think Trevor Story and Xander Bogarts are probably the exact same age, and I think Bogarts is just a little bit more of a complete player at the plate. Um, Bo Bichette's what twenty two, so and he's already I think just as good as those guys. Bo two still knows. 
Uh, and the only reason why I give a slight edge to Xander over Trevor Story is because Xander's on the field a little bit more. A little bit, because he's not injured. He just takes a couple day vacations, which is frustrating. He gets tired. He gets exhausted. He's yeah. old. You yeah. know, he's old. So I was just curious to see your thoughts on Bo Bichette. Bichette, to me, the only thing I don't like about him, I, I love his raw power, but he's just very erratic at the plate. And I just, he he could have, it wouldn't surprise me if he has a really bad couple of years, you know, because of that. But but he is, he is the youngest of them all. Um, with Xander, he had a bad series. It'll be interesting to see what kind of a second half he has uh, compared to his first half. I mean, he's top five MB, MVP right now, uh, thereabouts. So we'll we'll see what he looks like going down the stretch. He's my favorite player on the Red Sox. I, I love Xander Bogarts, but this is where I'm not a homer. I'm no, there's no scenario where I give him eight years. That's that's what it's going to start at. Uh, that's what it's going to start at as far as Scott Boris is concerned. He's going to want an eight-year deal minimum at big money, $30 million per. And I don't – I mean, his defense is declining. Like, what do you do with him in year three or four of that deal? I just don't know where you put him. And maybe you slide him over to third. Okay, Maybe. I, if Casas wasn't restricted to basically just first, maybe he becomes a first baseman later on in his career. I can't really see Xander playing the outfield at all. I just don't think that's going to play well. So it's going to be it's going to be tough to find a spot for for him uh, if you're if you're looking at a super long term deal. Would I sign him to a six year deal? Probably, but that's it. That's super tops for me, and I'm not sure that's going to get it done. Uh, coming into this season, I would have said, oh, Xander will take a six-year extension. Extension. He he loves Boston. He told Scott Boris two years ago, three years ago, whatever it was, just get the most money you can right now. I want something done. I don't want to play anywhere else. Xander's got a much different mindset now. So, um. Yeah, so we'll see what happens, but there, there's a, a realistic possibility that uh, when his opt-out comes up after the 2022 season, he might not be here. And I don't even think Bloom's sad about that. I think he's he's praying that Xander opts out. And, and then Jeter Downs will be up. You'll have Casas. They'll probably have some other prospects somewhere else in the infield. But my dud for the series, I feel a little bit bad about going with him, but uh, I'm going to do it anyway. Nathan Avaldi only lasted four innings today, gave up seven hits, four runs. Only three of them were earned, walked one, struck out four. There's just something about his season where he has one inning Every start that goes completely sideways and he gives up runs. He needs 30 or 40 pitches to get out of it. And it's not pretty. And he, today he had the bases loaded two outs 
and he I think he had a one two count and Jared Dyson put together a hell of an at bat. I can't take anything away from Dyson. It, it was an eleven pitch at bat. And Avoldi just needed that one last strike to to end the inning and we get out of it with still leading the game two to one. And Dyson ripped one up the gap and it, it was three to one, and then they scored one or two more runs after that, and we never recovered. The series was over, basically. So, Evaldi needs to get it together again. The gripping agents thing—that's kind of in the back of my mind. I think most fans have this unsettling feeling about their own rotations, regardless of what team they root for. I don't think you're going to see pitchers going beyond five innings right now until that gets sorted out, until they say, okay, a little bit of pine tar is fine or sunscreen and rosin. What, whatever the accepted protocol ends up being, if they do allow a substance, until that happens, all starters are going five innings, I feel like. And Avaldi's got to figure out a way to – to be consistent from start to finish. He had a six-pitch first inning. Took six pitches to get out of it. I thought, oh, my God, this guy's going to cruise. And he was coming off of a good outing. So I'm thinking it's it's possible. He could just kind of cruise right through this Kansas City lineup, but he didn't do it. So, Jason, thoughts? Yeah, he wasn't sharp. He wasn't sharp today. And he wasn't missing any bats. And that, to me, was the most concerning part, was that Nathan Avaldi, who has a plus fastball, and has really good stuff and is normally striking out seven, eight guys in outing um, and being much more efficient. He just couldn't get the ball past these guys. That's why Jared Dyson had that 11 pitch at bat. He just kept fouling stuff off. I mean, Evaldi was throwing everything but the kitchen sink at him. It's like he threw his whole repertoire at him, and Dyson was at least seeing it enough to foul it off. And look, it, Jared Dyson, he had a hell of an at bat, but this isn't a, you know, all time hitter. It's a, you know, it's a speedster. Like, this is a bottom-of-the-order speedster that Ivaldi should have shut him down in a few pitches, and he just couldn't do it. So I'm with you. The, the gripping agent thing is definitely in the back of my mind because I watch Ivaldi and I go, that's not the Nathan Ivaldi from a month ago. That's not the guy who was going, you know, six, even seven innings at times, blowing the ball past guys and just, you know, cruising and looking really efficient and almost looking like a borderline ace. Now he kind of looks like he's just – it's almost like he has to pitch to contact because he knows he can't blow up by these guys. And he's just hoping he gets a lot of ground balls and that he can be efficient. And today, you know, the Royals have always been kind of a pesky lineup. They've always been good at grinding out at bats and making life difficult for opposing pitchers, but 87 pitches through four innings. And I mean, he had to really labor to get through four innings. You know, it, it was a laborious 87 pitches. So not encouraging. Um, I'm hoping that he, bounces back his next outing. I do think he's a good enough pitcher that I don't think the gripping agent stuff should affect him too much. It shouldn't completely turn his season upside down, but today was not a good sign. It, this was not a good Nathan Avaldi. So I'll say this really quickly too. Um, Terry already touched up on it. The first inning, six pitches. I thought that was a typo. Like I didn't watch the first inning and I was like, shit, they forgot to put the one in front of the six. I'm sure <laughs> 60 pitches because we, that's the consistent thing. That's, that's what he's done. And the other thing that we notice is that he falls in love with one or two pitches. Dyson was seeing cutter, splitter, fastball. He saw the curveball, And then after that, 
He threw four fastballs. What do you think he was coming next? A splitter? No, he hadn't thrown one. Cutter? No, he hadn't thrown one. He threw three straight fastballs in the same damn place. Of course he's going to crack it. He now knows what, what's coming. He's seen it twice before. And then the sixth inning, he was just falling in love with two pitches. It was like Nate Evaldi forgot that he has four or five pitches. Why aren't you using all five pitches? You're switching it between sinker fastball, slider fastball, sinker cutter, cutter fastball. So they're looking at two pitches. If a batter has to just think, okay, cool, I got 50% chance of swinging at the fastball, 50% chance at hitting the slider, sweet. The odds become ever worse if you're looking at slider, cutter, fastball, curveball, sinker. Do the math, kids. Like, you cannot live on just two pitches every at-bat. Like, nah, I'm just going to go fastball slider this at-bat, and we'll just see if it works. No, no. They know what's coming, and that's the thing. Like, six pitches, damn, that's insane. He threw almost 70% uh, of his pitches for strikes. Um, he's consistently consistent, which is, is frustrating. He doesn't walk too many guys. He struck out four and four innings. The hits were up. The runs were up. Um, but he throws a lot of pitches in the zone, and he likes to throw the same pitch in the zone sometimes two or three times in a row. Batters know what's coming, and that's that's his issue. He needs to fix this level of, like, hyper consistency of only throwing two or three pitches it's it's it, they're gonna catch on and they did two, two innings it wasn't just one bad inning it was two i i think part of the problem too that hurts guys like Evaldi is even though the league said the balls are less juiced than last year i don't really know that they are i mean we're seeing home runs get hit on wrist flick type swings just almost defensive swings and they're in the shorter ballparks, they're going out. So it's it's hard for a guy like Evoldi to pitch to contact if it's still going to go, you know, into the outfield seats, you know, for a home run. So so we'll see. There's just so much. I, I hate to be a pessimist about Major League Baseball, but there's just so much wrong with the game right now. And they've been trying to fix it every year. And there, there's just more and more problems every year. It's just frustrating. Uh, we don't have a ton of time here, so we'll just kind of breeze right through the series preview. We are going to Tampa. I don't know if we've been to the Trop this year. I don't think we have. Um, pitching matchups. We have not. We have not. Okay. And that's no, typically. We swept Tampa earlier this year. At home in that one series. Yeah. Right after Baltimore, too. Correct. Um, yeah. So. Uh, some nice pitching matchups here. We got uh, Eduardo Rodriguez versus Rich Hill in game one. That's a 7-10 start on Tuesday night. We have Garrett Richards going game two against uh, Yarbrough. I forget Yarbrough's yep. first name. Ryan. Ryan Yarbrough, yeah. And he's having a, yep. the best year of his career, too. Looking pretty good. He is. Yeah. He's doing very well this year. Yeah. And uh, and then finally in the finale, another seven ten start. I love that all prime time. Uh, Nick Pavetta versus Michael Waka. So I just like to say about game one right now, Hill 
big time curveball guy. Not many curveballs being thrown by pitchers right now without the gripping agent. Garrett uh, Garrett Richards, who pitches in that series game two, didn't throw a single curveball in his last outing. He was a two pitch guy. So this could be a very wonky series, but uh, Rodriguez has had his struggles as well. So how do we see game one going? So here's the thing. Uh, if if I'm going to be blatantly honest and blunt, I have the Red Sox winning one out of three. Okay. Unless Hill does throw the curveball and he's throwing it consistently and effectively. Because if that curveball isn't working, it's not going to happen. Uh, Pavetta's already faced Waka this year. And Pavetta smashed Waka. Waka came in, sucked. And then Mazza came in after that and sucked even more. So Pavetta's going to win his game. I don't think that's going to change. I don't think we win game two. Like, if we're being honest here, I think one is if Hill has a good curveball, two, we lose, three, we win. Jason? Yeah. I actually have the Red Sox winning two out of three. Um, I think they will win game one because Rich Hill, he must not be using the stuff anymore. His last two starts, he was not good. Um, Against Baltimore, which is a bad offense, and Seattle, he gave up four runs in both of those starts after not giving up any the the previous two against the Yankees in Texas. Um, the other thing, too, is he doesn't pitch deep into ball games. Um, you know, his, his pitch count is usually hovering around 60 to 85. So I think if the Red Sox get to him early, they get him out of there early, they'd start taxing that raised bullpen. I think they can win that game as long as Rodriguez isn't a complete puddle on the mound, which is definitely possible. So we'll see. Uh, that might be an ugly one in game one. Uh, game two, forget about it. Garrett Richards is on the mound. I don't trust that guy anymore. They'll lose game two. Um, and game three, I, I'm not a Michael Walker guy. I think, you know, Red Sox can get to him. I Like I said earlier, I'm not worried about Nick Pavetta. I think he'll bounce back and he'll have a good outing. Um, so I actually think the Red Sox can take two out of three here. I said in the last show I'm done making official predictions, but I will say the Red Sox should win two out of three. Um, I have no idea which combination it's going to be. I mean, we, uh, I would normally be very confident in game one for the Red Sox, but the one game we did win in the Royal series was what I would have labeled the guaranteed loss with Perez pitching, not being able to pitch past the second. And he goes five, looks very good, gives up only one run. So, Tough to really know what to expect. The trop is not a good place for us. It's not a good place for Eduardo Rodriguez, I don't think, either. So um, so we'll see. It'll be an interesting series because it's a division race. We have a golden opportunity here to, to maybe not get a comfortable lead, but get further into the lead and, and take a deep breath. So we'll we'll see what happens. Um Next show, 24 hours from this, is totally legit or calling the cops. We got a ton of downloads on the on the last uh, segment of that uh, a couple weeks ago. Seems to be pretty popular. We've got some nice, uh, nice uh, scenarios in this uh, next show for it. So I'm sure you'll all enjoy it. So that'll be out 24 hours after this. And then later in the week, Andrew, Job, and I will discuss what did happen 
with the Tampa series. Take care, everyone.